Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome to Season 3 of the Disney Movie Marathon. Today we're talking Alice in Wonderland, and before we get into the episode, if you've only ever listened to my Disney podcasts, then you probably have no idea that getting to Alice in Wonderland is kind of a milestone for me, or it was in 2022 when I first recorded this miniseries. On my main channel, for whatever reason, the thing I've become most known for is reviewing versions of Alice in Wonderland. I started a series in 2017 called Wonderland Wednesday, thinking I would review all the versions of Alice in Wonderland I could find. I thought there were like five, maybe ten. I figured there'd be enough to give me something to do weekly for a couple months. Well, fast forward almost seven years, and I'm still reviewing versions of Alice in Wonderland, and I just turned that original series into its own podcast. You have no idea how many there actually are. In 2020, I also expanded the idea behind Wonderland Wednesday into another podcast called Every Version Ever, reviewing all kinds of classic literature adaptations, some of which will eventually also come to this podcast, depending on how they tie into whatever Disney movie we're talking about. Anyway, all that to say, reviewing the Disney version of Alice in Wonderland was a big deal at the time, and these next four episodes will reflect that. I'm leaving the original intros intact as I release them at that time, so I figured I'd give you some context before we begin. This week and next will be the original podcast episodes covering the history of Disney's version, then the movie itself, and then following that we'll be talking about Tim Burton's version as well as its sequel. After that we'll eventually be talking about a few more versions from Disney, all from television, but I think I'm going to split that up partly because I'm not going to be able to get through them all before next month, and partly because I have a bunch of episodes ready to go for the Peter Pan series, and I just want to keep things moving. So, following Alice in Wonderland, we'll move on to Peter Pan, but we'll be coming back to Alice in Wonderland in a few months. Depending on how quickly I can get them finished, I might have one or two episodes on the Alice TV shows following the episodes on the movies, but we'll see what happens. In the meantime, feel free to make your guesses in the comments what we'll be watching. I'm sure some Alice in Wonderland fans will be able to guess a few, and the Deep Cut Disney fans can figure it out as well. Until then, let's get on with the original Alice podcast from 2022, starting with the history of the original film from 1951. Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and today is the day, or rather, today and a week from today. Ever since I started covering Alice in Wonderland on my channel, there have been several big versions that I know a lot of people have been waiting for, and now we have finally come to Walt Disney's take on the story. As tends to happen, the more interesting something is, the longer we talk about it, and because of that, what started as one episode easily became two. With me for these episodes is, of course, my cousin Sarah. Sarah has been reviewing Alice in Wonderland versions with me since I started on YouTube back in 2017, so I couldn't not do arguably one of the biggest, most famous versions without her. And then joining us is the Alice expert herself, Jenna West, aka Phantomwise, one of the most knowledgeable people I know when it comes to Alice in Wonderland and the various screen adaptations thereof. I knew I had to get Jenna to join us for this one, partly because it was such a big occasion, and partly because she knows a lot about not just Alice in Wonderland history, but also Disney history, and this would be the perfect place for her to enrich us with all of her Disney and Wonderland knowledge and trivia. And while I should have guessed as much with how much Alice information Jenna has, little did I know that we were going to get enough material from her vast stores of knowledge that I was going to be able to make a full hour-plus extra podcast of just Disney and Alice history. This first episode will be a deep dive into the history of the Disney film, as well as a few Alice-related tangents. We talk about the history of the film itself, as well as Walt's bitter, and I do mean bitter, rivalry with another Alice filmmaker. Alice's presence at the Disney parks, and conspiracy theories about not just Disney and the story of Alice in Wonderland, but also the author, Lewis Carroll himself. Jenna is an absolute wealth of information on all of these topics. 
Also, if you're watching this on YouTube, before we get into the episode itself, I wanted to give a huge thanks to Simone Fole. She's the artist behind the awesome Alice in Wonderland avatars in this episode. She did an amazing job, and I'll have a link to her Instagram account in the description. Okay, next week we'll talk about the film itself, but for now, let's get into the dark and troubled, but also fun and interesting history of Walt Disney's adaptation of Alice in Wonderland. Well, I guess we could probably start with production history, since you're the Alice expert. Do you have any fun trivia you want to share? Well, I did talk about it a little bit in the Song the South video already. I don't think it matters if you recap some of that, because probably... Yeah, because yeah, there'll, be, there'll be Alice fans who probably won't care about watching the Song of the South video. Uh, okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah, true. Though they should. All right. <laughs> <laughs> they should. Yeah. Okay, well, Walt's... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of Disney fans will already know this, but Walt was always very extremely interested in doing Alice Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Um in particular, I, to be honest, the, the Alice comedies, I wouldn't really call an Alice. Yeah. Uh, so, but anyone who's not familiar with the Alice comedies, um, before Mickey Mouse, the very first thing, like, cartoon that Walt Disney Studios made was the Alice comedies in 1923. And it was a live action little girl uh, going into a cartoon wonderland, I guess, in a way. Um, but the concept was, I would say the concept was inspired by Alice. Like, it mm-hmm. is a little girl going into a fantasy world. He just took it, like, a different direction, you know, with the time period, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you, oh, you haven't seen the Alice comedies. Um, I do recommend, they're not all good. Some of them are really bad because, you know, they they were, at some point, they were just making them to make them. Oh. Um, <laughs> Because one thing uh, to keep in mind about the really early Disney stuff from like the 20s, uh, Walt wasn't really in charge. Um, they were, oh my gosh, I don't remember like who they were making cartoons for. But basically it was somebody going, make these cartoons. That would and, make more sense because just making them to make them does not sound like Walt Disney. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's not what Walt would have, you know, Walt got bored of things. That was also... That played a part in why he ended up going solo, but it was also because uh, the next character after the Alice comedies, which was Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, this character is basically stolen from him because it really belonged to the person who was producing it, not him. So that's when he came up with making, you know, uh, it was like, I'm going to own everything I work on. So that's Mm -hmm. never going to happen to me again. Mm. But anyway, going back to Alice. So, Yes, there's always been a very early Alice connection, but I wouldn't really call it an Alice. But, like, right when he got the idea to, like, start making full-length animated films, Alice was a very early contender. But I believe uh, they went with Snow White pretty early, though. But they could have done... uh, They did Alice work, like, late 1930s, and they were also doing a lot of research into the copyright of the Alice stories. So actually, probably the big reason why Alice definitely was not the first animated Disney cartoon, I mean, full-length Disney movie, was probably because Paramount made their Alice. Otherwise, that might have been the first Disney movie, in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, the very first version, I don't know if you're aware of this, um, it was going to be a live-action 
basically like the Alice comedies, uh, live action with Mary Pickford as Alice. Oh wow! In an animated Wonderland. Yeah, there there are uh, color photo test shots. I kind of want that to be a thing. I know Mary Pickford <laughs> is so cute and talented. I'm I'm sure she would have made it work. She was very excited about it. Mm. But um, Paramount announced that they were going to do their Alice. So not only was that not very, uh, you know, it's not very smart to do an Alice when another big studio is doing an Alice. They had the copyright. They got it for, they got the copyright for the book. However, at that time, Disney, okay, so very interesting situation with the copyrights for Alice. The copyright for the text of Alice and for the illustrations of Alice were separate. So the copyright for the text expired earlier than the copyright for the illustrations based on when Lewis Carroll died and when John Tenniel died. Hmm. So Disney got the illustrations copyright. So I, 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 Paramount couldn't like exactly make it look like the illustrations, but I mean, they were pretty close, I would say. But they didn't get the book copyright, so they couldn't do it. But they were looking into... Even after that, I would say it looked like they were looking into it being a possible second film, like around the time Pinocchio was being done, because um, we have storyboards from 1939 from David Hall. Disney loves to use these storyboards because uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen these storyboards by David Hall, but they look nuts. <laughs> they're very, um, they're very 30s-esque. They're very grotesque. But they're very inspired by the book illustrations. Okay. Mm. There's a lot of surreal imagery, but like, I don't know, imagine like kind of a surreal, uh, surrealness mixed with like 30s animation, cartoon animation. It would have been very neat, but when Walt saw these storyboards, he hated it. <laughs> he, he thought it was awful, um, that it was too faithful to the book, and that <laughs> it was too grotesque. So he's like, no, we're not going to do it like this. Um, so they didn't do David Hall's version, which would have been interesting. Um, some of the things I remember was because, well, well, it was very um, inspired by the illustrations. There were a lot of like liberties. So, for instance, once Alice arrived on shore, uh, she would have met the Montreal and the Griffin there right away. Instead of them being there later in the story, she, oh, when she, you know how she talks to the doorknob in the disney movie yeah well in this version she was going to talk to the drink me bottle it was going to be like a a little man bottle with juice in him and she, she would <laughs> she would drink from him and um i don't know which is a weird concept probably best they didn't go with that and <laughs> my favorite concept though is uh she was going actually that's actually where the concept of her being on trial came from and she was going to be executed. Like, her head is in a guillotine. And she wakes up. So mm. why was she supposed to be in trouble in that version? I'm not 100% sure. I don't remember if it's because she stole, if she stole the jam, jam charts. There's actually... The, another really hard thing about the early production history of this film is not all of it's available. You can watch, like, a, a reel of this storyboard but it's only on the Laserdisc. Disney's never re-released it. Mm. Uh, you always you have to get the Laserdisc, and I have seen it. Like uh, Sam from Curious Archive had, uh, did get it, but it's really sped up and hard to watch. I don't know why it's so sped up. <laughs> um, 
anyway, they do have, um, you can, you could actually get these illustrations from these storyboards in books that they sell. But as far as I know, you can't get the full storyboard in the book. It's just like selected illustrations from it. Hmm. Let's see. And then after that, I mean, while it was going on, this is information that I found while researching. Disney bought the rights from Paramount, even though at the time they bought them, the book was finally, like the rights were finally expired. <laughs> they didn't have to buy them. <laughs> but in Hollywood, you just buy it anyway <laughs> to avoid trouble because they could have sued them. And this was also around the time, uh, you guys have watched the 1949 Bunyan version, right? I believe yeah. I... Um, the French? Yes, the French yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, the French one. Bunyan was trying to get the rights at the same time. So both Bunyan and Disney were trying to buy uh, the Alice book rights from Paramount, which were expired. <laughs> and Paramount went with Disney. And that's part of why he was so pissed. And he's like, it's expired. I'm going to make it anyway. There's nothing they could do to me. Take me to court, you know. Oh, the French guy? Yeah. Well, actually, he's not French. Um, the French produced it with him. He was American. Oh. Um, hmm. Yeah. How I guess I... I thought he was French because the movie was both French and English. He was approached by um, French film because the, the French government wanted to utilize the Nazi labs that they left behind for photography. And uh, they wanted, so they were like, let's have a film industry. Um, oh my so goodness. In America was the country of films. So they went to America um, and Bunyan was one of the people they got because he did a very successful, um, oh my gosh, sorry, I'm not a Bunyan expert. He did a very successful movie right before no, then. This is already um, amazing. <laughs> sorry. What was his favorite breakfast food? Come on, Jenna. Oh, I don't know that. Sorry. Um, but he, sorry, we're going on a bit of a tangent, but I do know. this is I, great. Yeah, I find the Bunyan Alice and Bunyan Alice and the Disney Alice fascinating. They're like history and because it's like the war of Alice's, right? Um, you got the drama, you got the betrayal. It's, you know, you got the legal battle. It's perfect and it's not talked about enough. I still need to do more research. But anyway, so uh, he did a very, he didn't do a whole film, but he did like a very successful section in a film. And that was part of why Paramount was even considering selling it to him. And they were like, well, actually, no, they weren't going to sell it to him. They were considering produce, like having him direct it. They were going to produce it. And that's why, but Disney is like, I want the rights. And that's part of why he was so pissed off. So is that how the French got a hold of him or was the French? They were like, we're looking to start up a film industry. We and want to make a film. And he's like, my buddies have turned on me. Um, I'm going to the French. Yeah. Or something like that. Pretty much. He turned his back on the American film industry at the time. I, I, actually, from what I, I read, there, I believe there was an article where um, they actually were like, he's gone to, the, to France. <laughs> he's taking his animators with him. You can't blame him. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we, we're going to go back to the Bunyan Alice again. Anyway, Disney's happy. He's finally got the expired rights for the books that he doesn't need, but he knows Paramount's not going to give him trouble now. So he he's looking at doing the film, but he's like, you know what? Does this film, does this book really translate to a film very well? Like, it's very episodic. Um, there's no, like, overarching story. And they were also doing research into previous Alices, one of which they watched the Paramount film 
and they hated it. <laughs> they watched, they hooked, they got like a screening. They got Paramount to send them, a, you know, the reels to watch it. They're like, was this is terrible. Was that 1933 or was yes. that a different one? Okay. The 1933 one with was that uh, the Charlotte. One? I, I don't know which one you guys call it terrible. It's the one where they look like they have melted faces. 31 <laughs> is the terrible one. Okay. 33, oh, 31 33 is, is the one with all the stars. Yeah. Oh, okay. You like 33, right? I think. I feel like that was pretty good. Yeah, it yeah. was it was better than 31, definitely. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. Many things are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not hard to be better than that one. Um <laughs> But, like, as a film, though, um, you know, so a lot of people do like 33. I personally, I don't feel like it's a very good Alice adaptation, but it is technically faithful. There's definitely a lot of, because that's the thing, like, they, it does try to be faithful. I, I, I think they tried too hard. I think if they actually <laughs> took some things out, it would have done better. But anyway, Disney was like, they, they try to be faithful and look at, you know, look at how this movie turned out, because that movie bombed at the time. It did not do well. Um, I know there are some people who say, some people think that was the reason why big fantasy movies didn't really do well again until Wizard of Oz. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not enough of a film expert of that era to be able to say that, but it was a really big financial loss. There's another thing was uh, Alice was supposed to be part of this huge film directive that they had. But anyway, that's another tangent. Um, (laughs) Paramount. Yeah, that's a, that's the Paramount Alice. Um, Anyway, so Disney hated it. So they're like, okay, we can't do what they, like, how can we avoid what they did? And so they, um, Walt thought of a story. Like, we can make it a story where we have these sections from Wonderland in um, as part of this over, overarching story. And when you look into the context of Alice, which, you know, a lot of people who look into the context of Alice Wonderland do find the background context of Oxford and, Lu- and Lewis Carroll or Charles Dodson, and that it was a real little girl he told his stories to, they do find that very interesting. So there was kind of like some inspiration here. The problem, part of the problem was they were real people <laughs> um, with relatives and a lot of scholars with Carroll and Alice who like wanted to be involved. So he made, he was making a script with, um, oh my gosh, I might say it right. Uh, Aldris Huxley, he wrote uh, Brave New World, and he oh, was really is it yeah. Aldous? Aldous, uh, sorry, Aldous, Aldous. Aldous. I have a Francis problems. Yes, it is. Um, and he's also the son, the grandson. Yes, the grandson of Julia Arnold, who was one of Lewis Carroll's child friends. So, <laughs> um, you know, which felt like Huxley it led some. Yeah, oh, yeah. He he was the grandson of a child friend. That Lewis Carroll oh had. <laughs> Why the old boy? <laughs> That's just, I guess, a lot to take in. It is a lot to take in. So he helped Walt or no? Yeah, he was writing the script for this uh, new treatment. So oh this is basically where it ties into Song of the South. If anybody's interested uh, who's watching this, I talk a little bit about that in Jonathan's Song of the South video. Um, about the history of Alice and Song of the South there, because this is the version that basically turned into Song of the South. You have a live-action Alice again in an animated Wonderland, and you have a storyteller who's telling these animated tales, and it's supposed to go into this overarching story about why stories are important. And this one, I, I would, I feel like this one was probably a little bit closer to Walt's heart, because it was about being a storyteller, and I I did address it in the song, the South one as well, I believe. 
he always wanted, he felt like he had to justify that being a storyteller was important. Mm-hmm. So Huxley was very interested in this version. It was very personal to him because of his connection, um, his familial connection. But this was a very, it was a very strange version. Unfortunately, most of the material for this version was in Huxley's house and it was destroyed in a fire later. So we're missing, mm. like a lot of material for this is actually gone. Mm. But I I found a couple things, like uh, I found some concept art in an auction once. Of um, course you did. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we have, there is a book about Huxley's work in general that goes over some of the surviving content that they do have. So in particular, Alice, so the little family, her dad's still the Dean of Oxford. Lewis Carroll still lives there and works there. But Alice is their only child. She doesn't have any sisters. And for some reason, her parents go off on a trip. So they get a governess. And the governess is awful. She doesn't like imagination. And she's always like stifling Alice's and wanting her to be a proper young lady. Meanwhile, Lewis Carroll is like the fun uncle. Um, and he feels sorry for her because, you know, her parents are gone and she has this awful governess person. So he tells her stories about Wonderland and that's where the animated segments with Alice would have been part of it that help her in real life. Um, in particular, I think, uh, she gets trapped in a greenhouse and she imagines a hose as a snake that helps her out or something. So it's kind of like it's song in the South when, um, Johnny tries, uh, tricks the bullies. And Ellen Terry, the actress, would have been in it. She actually would have been Lewis Carroll's love interest, which is weird. <laughs> she was much, much younger than him. But um, this was something they seemed to have purposely chosen because there's a quote of Walt saying, let's give him a, a love interest. And I, I had the feeling that he wanted, because at the time there were the pedophilia rumors Lewis Carroll, and he wanted to like curb that. But anyway, Wait, there was quick, a lot of... Quick question, question. Yes, okay. sorry. Go ahead. So I'm just rambling to myself. <laughs> was Lewis Carroll supposed to have Alice as a love interest or somebody else as a love interest? No, no. Um, Ellen Terry. She was a famous actress at the time. So, like, he would have this side interest along with telling the stories? Yes. And this is supposed to somehow um, help curve uh, historical rumors in a different direction? Yeah. Even though I would say... I would say historically, Ellen was much younger than him, and he knew her as a child, so I'd sell that state. You know, she was an adult in the script. That wouldn't have helped a whole lot then. Okay, so Ellen <coughs> is one of the kids that he told stories to back in the day. I don't think he was that close to her when she was a kid, but she did know her as a kid, and then was friends with her when she was an adult as a famous actress, because he was very into theater. Okay. But I'm kind of like, I don't know. Yes, it's kind of like Pocahontas a, and John Smith here. Yes, yes. She she was there was a very big age difference still. So I still I'm still I'm like that's still a bit icky, but okay. I guess it's you know it's better. Um, <laughs> it's better than real uh, life. No. <laughs> uh, oh, I don't want to go go into that because I uh, that's a whole different discussion. But anyway, um, what the rumors? But, yeah. Um, because I'm, I'm, at least when I was doing my blog, I was very vocal that um, the pedophilia rumors were invented by Freudians because when you go back to trace the evidence, there is actually a lot of cover-up 
of gossip with him with adult women that his family were trying to hush up. Um, I I think I'd rather not that he should be messing around at all, but I'd much rather have rumors going around that you <laughs> you were misbehaving <laughs> with adults than with. <laughs> yes, but Victorians were. It's a very different viewpoint. So it's, it's kind of a strange time in history. Yeah, it really is cool in many ways, but. Yeah, they just, I, I don't, uh, his family really had no idea that they were setting him up for something so horrible. Mm. And now that there is the evidence, nobody wants to believe it. I think you know <laughs> a lot of history that I don't know about that. Like, I've whatever history I know about those rumors, I've probably just read some of it on a Wikipedia page. And you've obviously gone in with tweezers and a microscope <laughs> to try and figure out whether he's guilty or not. And what the family had to say and what was going on. And I have no idea what was going on and what the family had to say. If you are interested, I would recommend uh, In the Shadow of the Dream Child by Caroline Leach. But um, tangent, let's go back to the wall. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't think there's ever been like a very clear reason said for why he stepped away from this version of Alice. But I think we can kind of like, I think we can make some, you know, guesses for one thing, a lot of people were trying to get involved in this version because of the real-life people being portrayed. For instance, I know that Alice's descendants were trying to be in contact because they wanted influence over how she would be portrayed in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I believe even his family, the Dawson family, was trying to get involved. And a lot of Alice purists in general, which a lot of them, let's be real, would have wanted a romance between Alice and Lewis Carroll because they're creepy. So I, I think, okay. in one, yeah, and I, I think at some point he was just like, you know what, maybe this would be better with a fictional storyteller, because then I can control the narrative, right? And I think that's when it became Song of the South, because Uncle Remus isn't a real person, so he could make up a story, and he doesn't have to worry about, you know, people getting upset if it's wrong. Of course, people got upset for other things. <laughs> Which it's it's interesting you bring out that perspective because us in this century, I wasn't even thinking about living relatives trying to influence this film. Yeah, that never even crossed my mind. But it's really, it's not so far removed from that time period that that makes sense. Oh, yeah. What year did the real Alice die? Oh my gosh, what year did she die? 30s she died in the 30s okay that's what i was thinking because i know there was that old footage of her like paying a visit to the u.s yeah she died a few years after that and carl little her grandson was very very into the whole real alice in wonderland thing and making money off of it i was not her grandson her her son uh he's the one who pushed her to do all that promotional stuff she did not want to do it so he made money off of her yeah, he made money off her, so he very much wanted to control the narrative. I wonder how much she got out of it. Um, not very much. She still wasted it. Oy. He put it in, like, bad investments, and uh, she ended up having to sell her home that she lived in her whole life after she got married to her husband. Sounds- oh, yeah, because that, that's yeah. when she had to sell that manuscript, wasn't it? Yeah, she did. Like she cute. sold a manuscript to keep her home, and she ended up losing it anyway because of him. So... Hmm. Was it like the an original something or the the original Alice Wonderland manuscript? Yeah, like that Lewis Carroll illustrated. Yeah, so she had a really rotten kid, pretty much. 
And he was just really, he was more interested in like the money they can make from it. Anyway, so I think there was appeal in like, you know what, let's just make these characters absolutely 100% fictional. No one can complain because they're fictional. <laughs> so it became Song of the South. And that's part of the reason why I have interest in that film. So they went back to the storyboard for Alice because they didn't want to give up. But I feel like at this point, this is the point where, Al, where Walt kind of like, I give up. I don't know what to do for this story. I liked this story, but I don't think it's transferable to film. But at this point, you know, everybody wanted him to do an Alice. Like uh, it was expected. It's kind of like when Burton did an Alice, right? Everyone's like, do an Alice, do Alice. <laughs> so he's like, okay, you know what? And it just points to his animators. You guys do it. <laughs> he pretty much left them alone. And uh, the problem with animators, you know, they get focused on like gags, right? So what ended up happening was that they had different teams of people who worked on different sequences of the film. So it kind of ended up being like a contest between the different teams. Like, who can make this wackier instead of like a cohesive story? Mm. Which, I mean, to be fair, I, I do kind of feel like it, it works okay for the episodic nature of the book. But considering mm-hmm. that they tried to put in a story for Alice about her wanting to go home, it makes her very unrelatable, I think. But anyway, Walt pretty much, he chose Catherine Beaumont. But other than that, he had his, you know, he was kind of like, I'm going to work on other things. Also, I want to build a theme park. And <laughs> I'm going to start thinking about that. Um, so how much did he care about this film? Not at all. Um, when it was finished, he didn't like it. He felt like, especially when um, the scene, she cries and told you would, he felt like um, it wasn't a good scene because nothing was done to build up the emotional connection for her to feel that way. Mm. So he wasn't very pleased with it. I think probably the best, his favorite part was Catherine Beaumont because he kept her on for multiple things, including Peter Pan. I thought maybe you were going to say you thought it was too much like Snow White off in the woods surrounded by... <laughs> surrounded by goofy characters. Well, um, I mean, way, animals, I but this was just Wonderland animals and birds. Other, than, You know? I think the thing is, like, things. even Snow White um, still kind of has, like, connection with the characters. Like but the it's dwarves. such a similar feeling of it is off in the feeling, woods, though. upset, you know? But she does... She does have that, like, um, I think the difference is, like, you connect to Snow White more because she's being unfairly prosecuted and chased into the woods where she's terrified. And then she ends up crying and getting comforted by the animals. I don't know. I, I think it's set up a little bit more to be sympathetic. Whereas well, Alice okay. is like, I want a wonderland. And then she gets there. She's like, I guess this isn't what I wanted. But she has, like, she has strange things happening to her, and just when she gets a path, it's taken away from her, and she is supposed to be a child. So it's understandable if you're a child stuck in strange woods that maybe, just maybe, you would feel like sitting down and crying and and thinking, I wish I could go home now. Maybe what I wanted wasn't such a great idea. True, though I think from the audience perspective, we're kind of meant to think Wonderland is fun. If you were there, would you be happy? No. (laughs) 
but we're not really focused on her throughout the movie. It's more about who she meets, which I say is like the book too. I think it actually probably would have been better if they just didn't do that at all. And they just focused on it being a road trip kind of story. It's about the journey, not the destination. Um, (laughs) We'll we'll have the t-shirts made up. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, uh, so that's the production history. I'm sure people might have things to add. Uh, I'm not perfect. (laughs) Well, you knew a lot more than I did for Uh, sure. Sure. Uh, Thank you. Okay. Oh, yeah. I yes, these things oh, I saw on auction. I let me tell you about. I, I did. I, I did forget. Author Babbitt was part of the team for that song, the South version of Alice, and he left Disney bitterly over um, the, the animator strike. So he hated Disney. So he went to Bunyan. It's like you're making Alice. Well, I know what they're doing. Mm. And um, so that's why there's that whole plot with Oxford at the beginning because that was kind of their way of like trying to copy Disney. So do you think that part of Walt's indifference was also the conflict that he had like just oh Oh, yeah people want to make this story and then this guy who worked for me he's upset about it so and then I have all these people crawling all over me with their opinions so you know what forget about it I'm not even gonna invest my emotions into this I was excited about this and you people ruined it (laughs) yeah because another thing is now now I'm realizing there's actually a little a little bit more history as the film was being released was the trouble with the Bunyan film the Bunyan film actually released 1949 but they purposely held off two years for the american release so it could come out on same time as the disney alice this is not coincidence they did it on purpose Mm. wait okay so bunyan held off yes well but why you would think that he would want to have it released at a different time so that it could get more attention the thing is it was part Kind of like part spite, because remember the reason why it didn't happen with Paramount was because they decided to sell their already expired rights to Disney. So his point was, this story is public domain, and I'm going to prove that, and I'm going to have a competition with two Alice's at the same time. So did he just want to know how will mine fare against Disney's? I guess in a way, yeah. In Instead a way, it was of, also kind of a f you. But from what, from what uh, I understand, but who, but who, know, who even had know grievances before this? Who even knows who that guy is now? <laughs> whereas the yes. opti- whereas the optimist <laughs> lives on. One thing to keep in mind is at the time Bunyan was a bit more well known than he was than he is today. Um, he did so many commercials; people recognized his work. And he did like section uh, stop motion segments in films at the time. So his work hasn't really lived on, unfortunately. But at the time, people would have been more familiar with him, if that but makes prob- sense. Probably still not as familiar as Still with not Disney. as familiar as Disney. But he was like, I'm going to make it better. And you could argue that he might have been hoping that people would accidentally see his phone instead of Disney's. And that is why Disney took him to court. And... I think Walt was also really upset because he saw that the film was based off 
an earlier story treatment they were going to do. Okay, and quick question. You mean yes. like they know Alice is coming out, they think they're going to go see Disney, but they accidentally go see his? Is that what you mean? Yes, yes. Especially some theaters might have only chosen to show one. And if somebody meant to go out to the to Disney Alice, but they went to a theater that had the bunny and Alice instead. Okay. Well, we're here. Let's watch that. <laughs> so I, this guy maybe knew that he was a little bit smaller potatoes and wanted to just sort of crawl up the ladder a little bit more or. Maybe I personally think it was more of a big F you. <laughs> like I, I, I think that he was trying to be like, F you to Hollywood. It doesn't make any sense to sell each other expired copyrights for public domain stories. And like, there shouldn't just be one monopoly on animation because Disney was the big dogs at the time. For so animation. what was the lawsuit about basically that he was taking revenue away from him? Yes. And that he was treading on the rights they had. So, like, Disney sued him, right? Yes. So Disney I I him. kind of felt like Disney was the the big guy going after the little guy. I feel less sorry for the other guy now. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, history is not black and white. Um, I, I, I feel for both of them in a way. Because um, if Paramount had gone and done the film with Bunyan, it would have been huge for him, right? Like, this is, it's still really the only film he, like, big film that he was able to end up doing. Okay. And it was kind of BS that they ended up selling the rights to Disney when the rights weren't even, it didn't even matter. <laughs> they just. I, feel, I still feel like he should have just released it when it was ready and. I know, agree. Send it with a kiss out into the world and be like, if they love it, great, either way. <laughs> because I do if agree. it. Because he if it. He should have released it in 1949, 1950. If it was amazing, then that in itself would have stolen some of Disney's thunder. It's like, wait, we just saw this film and you guys are coming out with another one? Okay, what you got? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. It would have made more sense from that perspective, for sure. It really would have. Though I do know that there was some problems with the production company he chose. In particular, in one newspaper article I was reading, there were reports that the distribution company offered to sell Disney the movie so they could stop distribution mm. without confirming with Bunyan. So oh. it's... Um, he didn't do that, though, did he? No, he got a different distribution company. He was like, F you guys. Yeah, that's that's really underhanded. Yeah, it really is. Would, would, Walt, have, would Walt have stopped the distribution of it? Um, as far as I know, there was never... I haven't found any indication that they were interested in trying to go that route. I think he wanted to take them to court because it would hurt more. <laughs> mm. um, because another thing to keep in mind is he's, Art Babbitt did a huge betrayal. Mm -hmm. So um, he couldn't sue that, he, that they stole his work because they ended up not doing that story treatment. Okay, but, so um, Art Babbitt going to this guy and saying this is the type of story that they're doing, and then he did that type of story. Yeah, because yeah. you remember in the in the French version they had that whole beginning with them in the real world, 
with the it, real people. You, you had more parallels between the real world and yeah. uh, or more clearly defined parallels. So that was in and of itself basically a Disney ripoff. It, it, originally, yes, it was yeah. trying to rip off Disney. Wow. It's kind of like how DreamWorks tried to rip release things before Pixar would. Like the idea of the story life. Yeah, exactly. Sharks sailed before Finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. To make it look like they did it first. Yeah. I didn't know that, but I haven't watched the DreamWorks movies, and I've watched... I don't recommend <laughs> the early DreamWorks movies. Uh, you could go to Shrek. That one's fine. You don't need to watch Ants. Ants, Ants scarred me as a child. If you're pointing <laughs> to Shrek as a higher level... <laughs> well, that was when DreamWorks was getting good. Uh, actually, okay... Sorry, Prince of Egypt is good. I think that was the first one. I, I'm not a DreamWorks fan. Yeah, I think Prince of Egypt was their first. It was one of the only hand-drawn ones that they did before they switched into CGI. Yeah. But anyway, um, it's a story of a Hollywood portrayal, just like Katzenberg got pissed off at Eisner and went to DreamWorks and did that. And legal battles are really, really, really expensive. Mm-hmm. So um, I think he was like, I don't even want to buy out their movie. I'd rather take it to court. But I don't think he should have because I think his movie would have done just fine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but because he lost, because they were like, um, it is public domain. These rights don't have any standing in court. And he, so, couldn't, he couldn't go after him for like taking his idea. Popping him because they yeah, didn't do they, it. They went in another yeah. direction after he snuck away yeah. with their plans. It was just enough to make him mad over his cereal yeah. or whatever. Yeah, though, can you imagine if they didn't change their plans? Oh, my Lord. Maybe that would have been a different story. I think they definitely would have had a case at that point. Yeah, but unfortunately, they didn't have a case. And um, the judge even said competition should be encouraged. So <laughs> even though it was very obvious they were try- they were like going, they went for the same week as the Disney Alice was releasing. So it was very direct competition. Now, this is where Walt gets a little bad. He was like, you know what? I have connections at Technicolor. I'm going to talk to them. And um, I have, like, movie theater connections. So I'm going to threaten theaters that if they show this Alice, they won't get to have future Disney movies. Yeah. Yeah. So the Bunyan Alice did really, really poorly because it was barely shown. And uh, which is, yes, they kind of did it to themselves. But at the same time, I do think it is a bit sad because the American version of their Alice was like top dollar. It was even better than the French version we have. We're still waiting on the restoration. It's almost like a competition of who was the least well-behaved in the sandbox. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of, yeah. It's like... Who's the yeah? Who's the worst? Uh, Because it is. It yes, they're grown-ups, but it's kind of childish, honestly. Yeah, Yeah, it is childish. Walt really, I really feel like Walt didn't need to do that. I think no. To be honest, I think people still would have picked to go see the Disney Alice, Mm -hmm. even at movie theaters where both of them were showing. Because, come on, you're gonna pick the weird stop-motion ones or the cool cell animation one, you know? And the, cell, the Disney one also had, like, more voices they recognized, too. Mm-hmm. Like Jerry Colonna, Edwin. So He was just obviously ticked enough at losing that he's like, I'm going to try and spit in your eye this way. So, like, I think they both felt 
it sounds like they both felt very entitled and it just wasn't it wasn't healthy on either side it really wasn't both of them did bad things but i would say disney won you know disney was walt was very unhappy with the movie at the time and i i think that is kind of justified with like all the all the things that went on with it but he his version did win the test of time mm-hmm. for sure it did yeah and that's the fun production history of this film we haven't even gotten into the film yet (laughs) this is basically a podcast on its own i'm probably going to split this into two halves you're welcome (laughs) um someone needs to get on me about that i really need to do more research about that war it's so much fun (laughs) You, you already know way way more than the average person yeah i do but i i I feel like there's you more know out there's there. More. <laughs> I know there's more. You part can write a book. Like, part of it is like I, I, I probably should contact Bunyan's daughter, but I feel really bad coming in like, hey, so your dad stole this, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> I read her blog and, you know, obviously her dad's her, her hero. So Jonathan's saying you could write a book if you write oh, a book. Oh, I don't then- know about that. If you, you, no, oh, come on, the, the last half hour or whatever this is, you could totally write a book and then you would have an excuse to contact whoever you want and be like, so what's your side of the story? I'm writing this book. Let's get, let's get your take. I, yeah, I, I'm, and it involves Disney, so I'm sure it'd be pretty juicy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There might be uh, some and just conflict think of- there because I work you know in the theme park but um oh, <laughs> would that would that cause a conflict since you i have no Disney? idea just use, I'm not a, into legal just stuff. use a pseudonym use a, use a pen <laughs> name come on the, all, all right. the cool pic all the cool pictures you could put in there just call yourself <laughs> phantom jenna and nobody will know <laughs> yeah nobody will know uh just the people who listen to this <laughs> now yeah, don't tell anybody. Jenna's gonna write a top secret book with all the juicy details in it. Would you like a fun Disney Parks trivia regarding the caucus race? Okay. Yes. <laughs> so when they were gonna op- they're gonna do Disneyland, they were thinking of ride designs, um, and they were gonna they were thinking about a walk through Alice Wonderland attraction, which awesome. But for the caucus race, they were going to have a turntable and you would just walk on and off to be part of the caucus race. Lawsuit okay. steady. <laughs> yeah, breaking I, could their ankles. I could see that going badly. I yeah. like the concept, though, of a walk through I like the concept Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, they ended up going with a ride. Didn't they used to have like a bug's life thing where you shrank down to the size of a bug? They could have done something like that. Yeah, they ended up kind of doing that in the ride in the original ride version so yeah, the, the the history of the ride is also a bit complicated so the original version of the ride ended up being more of a surrealistic experience so Walt wanted to do an Alice ride and you know a lot, a lot of people actually asked him you don't even like the Alice movie why are you doing a ride and <laughs> he's like I think it would make a good ride he probably still liked the story just not the situation yeah, and I, I think he felt like it would it would be a really good story to be immersed into, because a lot of the a lot of what a lot of people don't realize is that original Fantasyland rides in Disneyland were meant to be experiences, they weren't meant to tell the story of the attractions. So like um, in the original Snow White, it didn't tell the story of Snow White, 
you were supposed to be Snow White being chased by the witch who's trying to get you to eat an apple. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and you get knocked out. You would get knocked out at the end, and that was the end. Like the witch killed you, basically. Goodbye. Get off the ride. <laughs> well, that sounds fun. Good for kids. Yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> so Any other ride know? stories you have to tell us so that we can just be like, "Wow, that's interesting." Well, Mr. Toad. Mr. I was just going to say, Mr. Is Toad still based off. Yeah, it's, it's that is still original to how it was. Rich opening day. He goes mad, driving everywhere, and then he goes to hell at the end because he dies. Um, and that's not in the movie. It's Does not in the it still movie exist? at all. Yes, please. Come ride my favorite ride ever. I love this Oswald <laughs> ride. And the um, thing is, in the, the thing is, in the book, it's more like a story of redemption. Like, yeah, he, in this he, one, he just goes to hell. He can't like. <laughs> he becomes a more sensible individual by the end of the book. Yeah, there, there's none of that here. You, you go to hell and then you get off the ride. That's literally where it ends. <laughs> well, it would be, I, I want to know what their thought process getting there. Like, why did they think this is a good idea? I don't know. There's actually not a lot of background information on why they chose to do it that way. But So Mr. Toad and Peter Pan's Flight, I would say, too, because Peter Pan's Flight also doesn't tell the story. It's more focused on flying around Neverland. Do you die at the end? <laughs> Peter Pan's Flight um, is also pretty still original to the original version, so it's not telling the story of Peter Pan, really. It's more flying around Neverland. Yeah, but do you die? Um, oh, do you die? No, no, you don't die. Um, well, what's you the just point of a Neverland. ride like that? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, that's the point if you don't you should die. should at least be threatened with death. <laughs> I mean, you meet pirates, I guess. But um, Well, I guess it might count. Yeah. Anyway, so the original Alice ride was more of an experience. And they did actually, they had a pretty cool, like, tunnel sequence where... Um, it would go through and it would get bigger so it felt like you were shrinking and then you would be in the upside down room uh, which isn't in the movie at all you would have a giant Cheshire cat that you would go under so it's that sounds it was pretty wild it it was grotesque don't get me wrong but I I would have loved to experience it I mean the tunnel sounds sounds fine but the giant Cheshire cat sounds questionable (laughs) (laughs) and this is Uh, somebody actually somebody actually remade it digitally um, on YouTube during the pandemic. So uh, you can look that up um, uh-huh. to get a feel for it. But anyway, uh, and then in the 80s, people were complaining about Snow White, and I guess by extension Alice, not reflecting the movies. What, they got tired of being hunted? I guess. Yeah, well, Snow White, uh, the Snow White ride was actually got so many complaints about it being scary because people were going on it expecting to see Snow White and the dwarves. Not be Snow White. <laughs> yeah, not be Snow White and not be chased by a witch. Um, original footage does not really does not exist of the ride, but if you want to get an idea of how it was originally like, you could watch the original Walt Disney World version of Snow White, which is different, but it was very inspired by the same concept. And it's literally like it's like going into a hellhole of darkness and the witch coming out and <laughs> like cackling the whole time. <laughs> um, highly recommend. Uh, but it's nightmare fuel. And yeah, use the bathroom before you get on the ride. <laughs> yeah. They had to rename the ride like, Snow White Scary Adventures to warn people. So that time, they needed to redesign the rides, and they decided to redo Alice as well. 
So now it's Alice is kind of boring. It just tells the story of the movie. I mean, it's so, it's still okay. How come nobody's complained about Toad? <laughs> I, good question, but I hope they never do. I love going to hell. It's great. I have a fun story with that. Uh, so one time we get people who spread ashes. Uh, so one time someone put ashes in a Toad vehicle. And when I heard this, I cracked up because I was like, they must hate that person. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is this somebody who had like a narcissistic cycle. parent and they're like I don't know what happened to you afterwards but I'm gonna send you where I think you should go I mean yeah exactly like and what not... is going through this person's mind that I, I need to not say too much the ride. <laughs> they, uh, they didn't want to close the ride so they were sending it throughout the ride over and over again while they were slowly cleaning it up in the load station so they clean up a little bit, and then they send it through, and then they come back, and they clean up more. They send so <laughs> they, they just kept people out of that, like, that oh, ride sorry, vehicle. this one's unavailable. There's a little mess in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> we don't know who, who the, I mean, what that is. Um, <laughs> just let us... <laughs> Like, and what do you do with that? Like, you're you're cleaning up somebody's ashes. Like, unless you're heartless or something, you, you go, where, where are you going to put that? Like, There's nothing you, really you end up in it. a trash bin at Disney? I mean, that's not the worst place to have your body go, but... <laughs> like, oh, place, they though. love Disneyland! Now they're a part of it forever! <laughs> like... This is so bizarre. <laughs> I'd heard I'd heard that people would bring loved ones' ashes to Disneyland, but I'd never heard that they put them into Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Yeah, it never happened. did you realize that person just loved Toad, and they were actually honoring the loved one, and it just looks really bad. I'm sure that's probably what was going on. They were like, "Oh, they loved Mr. Toad," which fair. Mr. Toad is a great ride. I love it. But yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite Ashes story. I could understand like a flower bed or something better than anyway. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I can't give advice on where to store your ashes at Disneyland. Um, I'd get in trouble for that. But um, <laughs> don't do Mr. Toad. Oh, no. You don't need to give advice. People can figure it out themselves. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, over here. Um, they dumped it here. Anyway, that was a tangent. But it, we did this talk is about what the, the podcast ride. is for. Yeah. Like, oh, my. If they just wanted the movie, they could watch the movie. If you want to have a lot of rambling about the movie and some odd stuff thrown in, then this is where you come. That's true. Definitely. That's true. Oh, you ever, sorry, you ever want, like, look at a lot of old Disney park stuff from the 70s? Walrus was a very popular meet and greet character, and I don't get it. Really? Yeah, I, <laughs> he's not a character I would go, I want to meet him. I didn't even know they had a character suit for the walrus. Yeah, I mean, I think he's been retired. Like, they don't, they don't have him anymore, and they, they're not going to update him, put him back out. <laughs> But um, he was well, a popular character. <laughs> he was a very popular character in the seventies. That's very random. It is. And another random thing is Japan loves the oysters. They think the oysters are adorable. If you look up Alice Disney Alice oh, in Japan, you'll see a lot of oyster stuff. Like the little baby oysters. 
Yeah, with their little oyster bonnets. Because the way they because the way they animated them is really cute. It makes it even darker. <laughs> I'm like, oh, the little babies are dinner. So that's interesting. If, if, I can if, see if why you guys love them. You better get your merch from Japan. <laughs> I kind of want to Google that now. <laughs> I highly recommend. I actually highly recommend looking up Japan merch for Alice because it's so good, but it's also really addictive. So. Uh, watch out. <laughs> I I didn't really think about Japan and Alice in Wonderland, but leave it. I they probably love Alice, don't they? Oh, they. Oh my gosh, Japan is huge over Alice. Oh, they. Oh my gosh, Japan is huge over Alice. They were actually considering when they were expanding Tokyo Disneyland to put in a Wonderland area, and they decided to go with Being the Beast instead. But I think it says a lot. They almost went with Alice. That would not be an option here. They should have gone with Alice. It would have been interesting. Yeah. They should have gone with Alice, in my opinion. But I think they wanted more international visitors. And internationally, being the Beast is a bigger property. But think about it. Like, I mean, (laughs) okay, money. But if you're coming internationally, be like, oh, this is, what, probably the only place with a special Alice in Wonderland land? That that could be a draw, like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, um, they do... They still do have an area that's there now with the teacups and the Queen of Hearts restaurant. So there is still like a mini themed area. It's not completely ignored. The restaurant is very, very cool. And they have Alice themed hotel rooms as well. Hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, man, my job, the Japan trip will just be more expensive because I have to stay in this hotel room. You know, you you should ask if you can get a temporary transfer. Can I go sweep the floors at Tokyo Disneyland? Unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately, it's a different company, believe it or not. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, in Japan, only Japanese businesses are allowed to own like land. So it's actually owned by a company called Oriental Land Company. They kind of like license the Disney name and characters and license. Huh. well, if you ever yeah. become very disillusioned, you know where you can run away to. <laughs> <laughs> just need to learn Japanese. Uh, we, we have a lot of communication with them still. Like, they get a lot of their uh, character actors from us because um, they want them to look like the characters. <laughs> that sounds awful, but that's what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we, we've had like visits from them, from their ambassadors, and we get uh, custodial, like we had... Uh, the custodial head from Japan, from Tokyo, come be really overwhelmed because they were in the birthplace of Disney custodial. It- <laughs> <laughs> oh my! And it was, yeah, it's just like you're you're probably better than we are. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but anyways, it's still technically a different company. I don't get a discount with them, and I don't get them for free. Status, and I would, ha- I can't transfer over to there. <laughs> Sorry, tangent again. Some people like think that uh, you ever watch the. Sorry, uh, you, have you watched the 1955 Hallmark or yes. 1983 Great Performances? Both, yes. Yeah, I reviewed. Both I'm not going to say her name right. Yeah, with the um, she goes through the mirror first, and then she goes down the rabbit hole. So it's no, I don't remember like, which. I don't remember. It's been a long time since we did those ones. It's been a few years. The main thing yeah. I remember about the great performances one is that Alice was a smoker. <laughs> that one did they literally one. have her smoking on there? Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, because it, she's really an actress, utter study who's going to play Alice. It's weird. 
it's a very weird version. But going off it being a stage production, ignoring the weird direction they took for the TV version, which I don't know why they did that, because the stage production was not like that. Not at all. Um, and they added, like, a weird love triangle between the actors, too. It was a bizarre... Anyway, um, but that story device of merging Wonderland and Looking Glass, I found out that Paramount might have bought the movie rights for that so they could do it in 1933. And when Disney bought the book rights for Alice from them, they bought all their Alice rights that they had, including possibly the movie rights for that one. What, like through the looking glass or? For the, uh, for the galleon Alice or however you say it. The, like that's a very specific, yeah, for that mashup kind of idea, but also just like the whole musical itself. So that might be why there's never been a musical version, like a movie version of it, just only TV. I'm confused. Are you talking about the version that has, um, what is the the Duchess and the rabbit falling in love? No, that's 31. Okay, I don't know which one you're talking about then. <laughs> 33 is the Paramount one with the Hollywood stars. Was that a musical? No, it wasn't. So the thing is, Hollywood, if there's a slightest chance, like if something like just slightly relates to what they're planning to do, they will buy the rights to it to like avoid any potential copyrights lawsuits. So like, for instance, when Disney did The Princess and the Frog, The Frog Prince is a public domain fairy tale, but they bought the rights to a book that was written where, I forget, but the, the princess... Uh, turns into a frog okay. even though the story wise it was nothing like what disney ended up doing for their movie but it was a different derivative idea so they bought mm -hmm. the rights to it hmm. so that's kind of the same case here paramount bought the rights might I, I can't guarantee that it was the stage musical version but paramount bought the rights for that so they could do their merge version of alice going through the looking glass and then going down the rabbit hole even though they ended up not really doing the musical. And Disney ended up buying the rights for that, too, when they bought the rights for the all their other Alice rights. Okay. Hollywood just buys rights left and right. <laughs> I guess I never thought about that. I figured if it was public domain, they didn't need to worry about that kind of thing. No, uh, derivative, derivative, uh, derivatives are different. It's kind of like how you could sue somebody copying off the Disney Alice, right? Because they're copying off a copyrighted work, but you can't sue someone for making an Alice because that's public domain. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a very fine line. Yeah. And most of them just like to be extra careful. Anyway, so that's a. I don't know where I was going with that. That's a little bit, <laughs> little bit of trivia. Um. So we're on to the painting the roses red, which is a great song. Oh, here we go. Since what? You know so much. Oh, yes. I wondered, is this a political statement of red versus white? Um, some people believe that it's a commentary on the Ro War of Roses. Mm -hmm. um, I don't was know. That, was the that like 1600s? I don't know my English history very well. I did have a history class on England, but I, I've forgotten all of it. That's, that's a lot sure. of history. Um, sure. So I'm not necessarily yeah. nuts thinking that there may be an extra reference layered into that. Though I think if you really like look in, because one side was like 
white roses and the other side was red roses. But when you look, really look into it, it doesn't really make sense, like, in terms of Carol trying to purposely reference that. As far as I could tell, there's no evidence for Carol meaning that. But some people like to think that's what it is. I might be one of those people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can. I, I don't know enough. I don't know enough to, like, actually talk more about it. I mean, either way, she is the Red Queen, so it, that could just be what he was thinking of. You know, the Red Queen's going to want red roses. So. And it's uh, the idea of painting roses is just ridiculous, too. So it's, I think it's more that. It's kind of like how people think Walrus and the Carpenter represents Buddha and Jesus. What? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you never heard that before? I've not heard no. that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> Yeah, people think the walrus and the carpenter represent uh, Buddha and Jesus. So is Did the Buddha walrus... eat all of Jesus's oysters at some point in somebody's made-up history? Yeah. Is <laughs> wait what? So they they think so... it's a religious commentary, but it's it's really not. Lewis Carroll just basically told Tenniel, "You could have a walrus or a butterfly or something else," and Tenniel was like, "I'll pick the walrus." All right, here we go. You know, so. Uh, uh, Carol so, didn't mean anything by it. Quick question. Do they think that the walrus is Buddha? Yes. Okay. If Buddha knew that, he might be insulted. Yeah, I, okay. I think it's a bit insulting to Buddha, <laughs> considering walrus, like, takes so many... It doesn't really make any sense, but... Uh, no, it doesn't. That is that is one of the most far-out things that I've ever heard. Yeah, but some people <laughs> believe that. And I think it's, like, quoted in a movie. It's, like, it's in a movie, so it's a people. You know, they don't. People get it from that movie. They yeah, don't actually read. Well, the somebody had to think of it to put it in the movie, which I guess <laughs> gives uh, shows you how the human mind works. That it would just go that far. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not convinced that it's actual commentary. War of the Roses. Um, but That's there, there's fine. yeah, there's stuff out there that um, you know, people talk more about that and why they think that. It's probably sure. one of the less popular theories, though. Are there more theories? Oh my gosh, there's so many more theories. Like one time I went to a conference and it was this guy talking about how Alice in Wonderland was actually a bunch of references to medieval England. And it made no sense. And we were all, we were all just like staring at him like he was crazy. And, <laughs> and uh, so that was fun. But anyway, um, so there's already, oh, you ever heard about the cannibalism theory? Do no. we want to know the can? <laughs> Are we going to be you? scarred now? Do you want to well, know? Well, hey, we watched, the, we watched the Mad Hatter die. I suppose we can... All right, here we go. All right. Some Buckle up, people, Jonathan. Some people believe because Alice eats so much that it's representative... It represents that Lewis Carroll wanted to eat his many brothers and sisters. <laughs> what? That he wanted to eat who? His brother and sisters. Because Why would they think the that? The Duchess's baby also turns into a pig, which can be in. So. Yeah, but I think that's a commentary <laughs> on, on like, children growing up with bad parents and turning into brats or something. Yeah, I it is. I see that. It, that's more, it's more about that. But uh, they go So, like, how many weirdos does this community attract? <laughs> like... There's a reason why I've stepped away from the larger community. Um, let's just say that. Uh, How large is this community? It's very large, and it's mostly nuts. It's <laughs> so you got uh, uh, another thing about the cannibalism theory is 
what was kind of hilarious about it was this one guy who keeps editing it in on the Lewis Carroll page on Wikipedia or the Alice Wonderland pages. You just read the discussion on Wiki of people going like, it has nothing to really to do with anything. The guy's like, yes, it does. I'm putting this section back in. <laughs> I think somebody needs to ban him from being a Wikipedia editor. I think they eventually did. Like, it's not on there anymore, but like, Basically, for a very long period of time, when you looked up Alice Wonderland on Wikipedia, there was a section about cannibalism, like it was a valid theory. Um, so would, does he have a website? I don't know. I don't... I, I you haven't, you haven't purposefully while. hunted him down? No. <laughs> I think this is part of the Alice community that she's trying to distance herself from. Yeah. Then there's You're the not. guy who wrote a book convinced that Lewis Carroll confessed that he's Jack the Ripper because when he anagrammed passages from Alice, it turns into confessions, even though it doesn't complete nonsense. <laughs> this but, person needs a hobby. Yeah. I think a that really is their different, hobby. That is yeah, their but hobby. like a, diff- a different hobby. <laughs> like, it, wow. My, like, there's so many worthy hobbies besides looking for weird things in Alice in Wonderland. The one that upset me the most, most recently, was someone who was convinced that, okay, you know how in the book, um, in the caucus race, they all must have prizes? Mm-hmm. So Alice gives all the birds confits, and they're like, Alice has to have a prize. And she says, I only have a thimble left. And so the dodo presents the thimble to Alice. Well, Which is cute. Yeah. Somebody thinks that's their wedding. <laughs> Because the That's... dodo represents Dodson, because his oh, name is Dodson. Yeah, and the dodo is meant to represent him on the boat trip. Um, is he? Is it actually supposed to represent him? It is actually supposed to represent him, but, but there's no there's no intimation that this is anything but something cute. Yeah, and then also like it's not just him. There's also the duck is uh, a friend who was on the original boat trip named Duckworth. The lorry is her sister Lorena. The eaglet is Edith. So this wasn't like just the two of them. Though he also said... But that's real. Yeah. So okay. these are real connections that he purposely did put in. But this person's like, the thimble is a, a ring. Because we all know they represent kisses. Even though Peter Pan was written much later. And, um, also, maybe we should just be thankful that maybe they're so distracted with this that they're not coming up with political theory. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's preventing them... From worse things. <laughs> I got one. I got one more part of this though. All right. So in okay. the illustration, where the dodo is giving Alice the thimble, the duck is seen in between them, and the person's like, "Well, Duckworth was a parson, so he's officiating the marriage." There you go. <laughs> this is why. I'm, this is why they I'm gone. really want this to be true. Yeah. They published this in the Lewis Carroll Society of North America magazine, so I was like, "I'm out." Goodbye, guys. Like, <laughs> I can't believe this. Um, anyway, so, like I say, they could be they could be coming up with global and political theories, and maybe this is distracting them from wreaking havoc in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so we probably need to counter blessings. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's true. It could be worse. But you can just back away slowly and just enjoy yourself and <laughs> away from it all. Yeah, that's pretty much what I've been doing. I just enjoy it more privately now. Sure. And also, like, because a big part of my thing was I was, like, trying to 
educate people about like the evidence that he was into adult women. That he's not a weirdo. Yeah, that he's not a weirdo, essentially. And, and people didn't want that. They didn't want him to not be a weirdo. And I was probably just like, thought it was exciting to think of somebody being a criminal or a pervert. Yeah. Which, you know, maybe that's, you know, I said it. It says, <laughs> it says people, more about what people want to see, um, which... Like, people are drawn to dark things and... Yeah, goodness yeah. knows. I, I like to watch crime stories and stuff, so it's like... I know, but I also don't like if I'm faced with evidence that that contradicts what I thought something was. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting that it would end up that way. That's that is essentially what I did. I was like, how how did this happen? But people don't want that. They just they want him to be in love with the child, and it's really creepy. And I'm out. Have fun, y'all. Instead of instead of just enjoying the story, which is very whimsical and fun. Yeah, just enjoy the just just enjoy the story, and also like stop trying to explain why it's a creative story. It's just some people have imaginations. We don't need to excuse it with drugs, or you know him being autistic or something. Just enjoy the story, and and maybe get some of those historical references in there because, like, I have a sister who thinks it's so weird, and I think she does still think it's weird. But I've you know taken the time to explain. Well, this is what this would have been like this poem would have been well known but it's not well known to us and this is what mm. this was, you know it's like there are things in there that make more sense once you know and you probably know a lot more of those details than i do mm. and then i had another friend who thought well you know isn't that magic in there it's like magic? And i don't know if i had the i don't know if i had the right explanation at the time it's like no this is a dream this is not, oh, you know, it's not thought, like Harry Potter or anything like that. It this was is like a, dream. a magic fantasy thing. Right. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. Like, Alice was a parody on, like, so many things they would have experienced at the time, and it outlived the things it was parodying. And so people get the whimsy and they get the weirdness, but they don't necessarily get the reference. Yeah. So it, the roses could be, like, another one of those things, um, especially when you're not English and you don't have English history. But in the end, it's really not important. (laughs) Like, you know, that is not my life to know what is the truth about this scene, you know. Oh, I just, I just find that stuff interesting. Right. I can respect people who think, yeah, I can respect discussion about whether uh, this theory about the roses might be plausible or not. Well, it's Um, less weird than a lot of things, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's much more respectable. Um, Yes. So yeah, I think the contemporary reviews were pretty harsh on this movie. Like the Alice purists didn't like it. Of course they didn't because they never like anything new. Um, <laughs> unless it's like line for line from the book. Looking at you guys, you know who you are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> calling you out. But anyway, um, and then I, I, don't, I don't think it resonated with a lot of like normal audiences either because it's not like a traditional story structure. You really just have to like enjoy it for the experience mm-hmm. that's kind of what ended up happening to it later it kind of like got pushed aside because people were like i didn't like that as much as like cinderella she didn't have a boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> she didn't fall in love well i mean they're they're like she didn't like conquer over anything i guess so they're it got pushed aside a little bit then it was the first disney movie shown on tv okay i think that helped it a little bit because walt didn't care too much about people singing that on tv and 
then uh, I don't know if you guys are aware, uh, you know, Disney movies were re-released like every decade at the mm-hmm. time. So in like the seventies, it was re-released. Like in theaters or? Yes. In theaters. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it was really popular in that re-release because people would get high and then go see it. And Fantasia. Yeah. And Fantasia. Both and Fantasia. It was, oh, like they, it was such an experience. Like they yeah. do drugs and go see Fantasia? Or? Yeah, yeah. Marijuana. Yeah. They would just kind of like zone out and watch all the colors. Yeah. Okay. And Alice was a very popular movie to do this to at the time. Like uh, college towns would actually like put on special screenings of Alice in Wonderland. Did anybody bring a hookah? They Maybe. Probably in the college, <laughs> in the smaller screenings in college towns. Um. I mean, if they're going to be doing that, they might as well get the actual experience. <laughs> Boy. And Alice has always been kind of a good movie for Disney to test things on. Like, it was one of the, if not the first, it was one of the first movies they put on VHS. And then they would have the TV screenings of it, like, most often. So it didn't do well at the time. It did well over time because of that. All these little re-releases in different ways yeah. helped build its popularity to what it is now. Yeah, and people, now people grow up with it. And they did that because they didn't care about the film as much. So they're like, this isn't as big of a gamble to try this out in this medium. Is that what they were thinking? Or? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alice was uh, very popular for them to test them out on, test Alice out in new formats. So yeah. like, because, uh, you know, like before they had VHS, there was like Betamax and Laserdisc. Um, okay. And Alice would, if not the first one, one of like the first movies they would release just to test the market. Because they didn't have a lot of faith in really, because uh, let's say you would re-release uh, Snow White in theaters, that's going to be huge. Heck, that would be even be huge today, to be real, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's a lot of money. Didn't they do that in the nineties? Yeah. And I think my mom took my sisters to see it, and I was really little and didn't go. Yeah, it was. Uh, there was a big Snow White thing in the nineties. But I think it was for it being released on VHS because I, rem- I remember it being like a really big deal when they gave me the VHS tape. And I was like, okay, I've never seen this movie, but okay. Of Snow White or? Snow White, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like they want to protect those movies more. They didn't want like Snow White being easily accessible because money. They wanted to test that it would do well. So they would use stuff, they would use Alice, like lesser movies that they don't mind there's not a lot of hype for them in the first place. So it's okay if it fails, if that makes sense. Which you would almost think that they would put out something more well-known to see if it would grab people's attention, but hey, whatever. Disney was very protective of their uh, properties at the time. I mean, they still Which are. Which may have uh, partly started with Alice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't mess yeah. with my stuff. Alice was part of it all along. So yeah, basically, you know, this is kind of the the movie that popped out of the shadows for Disney classics. I, I would say it's one of their most popular movies now from the golden era um, mm-hmm. or silver era, depending on how you term it. People love Alice in Wonderland. They sell lots of merch for it. It has an attraction in every Disney park. Japan loves it the most, but it, I, I think it's really found its own footing. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I guess that probably is a good place to end for this one. Yes. Do you want to let people know where they can find you if they want more from you? If you want to hide from all of them, it's okay, Jenna. <laughs> <laughs> I already have a target on my back. Um, you can find me on my YouTube channel, Phantom Wise, even though I never update it. And um, 
probably just find me around YouTube. I'm, I'm randomly on a bunch of videos, and I, I do search Alice things. You had a blog, right? I had a blog. I don't update it anymore, but it's uh, still but hyphen. if people wanted to... Hyphen me, hyphen phantomwise, <laughs> dot tumblr dot com. If people still wanted to find the archives and... Yeah, uh, you can find... If, if like, uh, any of my researches interest you, like that I mentioned, uh, I documented it, a lot of it on that blog. Right. Uh, particularly about, like, the pedophilia rumors, if you're interested in that. I, I did address some of the conspiracy theories as well. Not the cannibalism. I should have done that. I didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, oh, boy. And I did go over some of the production history, uh, but I discovered more since then. I really should start a new blog. But anyway, uh, uh, that's how you can find me. Okay. Do you have anything to promote, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I suppose what I did just two days ago is um, I'm a watercolor and pen and ink artist and you can find Whoa. my art on Redbubble and on Society6 under the name of Turnip Wilson. Turnip as in the vegetable, Wilson kind of like the neighbor from <laughs> Home Improvement. <laughs> I was thinking of the psychic doctor from House. Okay. Right? His name's Wilson, isn't it? I've never seen House. I've only seen... Uh, are you talking about, like, the, the doctor? Or show? Yeah, the doctor house. I've oh. only seen some of that, so I'm, I wasn't up on the, the psychic. But, hey, if you want to associate me with um, with that, that might not be bad. I, I don't know. He's a neat character, I guess. Okay, then you can think of me that way if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I guess that's going to be all for this episode. But until next time. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. We definitely had a great conversation. We covered a lot. Thanks for listening to the Disney Movie Marathon. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe and follow my co-hosts as well. My link tree and all of our links will be in the description below. If you want more of my content, all my podcasts are available on YouTube as well as most podcast platforms. If you enjoyed this show, check out one of the other podcasts or check out my Patreon for bonus and extended episodes you won't find anywhere else. We'll be back soon with another brand new episode, so thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.